We've been in a series called What to Do When It Does. Life happens. What to do when it does. And so many of us have been at these places where everything is going good. I mean, you're just thinking, I just don't think it gets better. You get suspicious when it starts getting too good. And then all of a sudden, the bottom falls out. Bottom falls out. You never thought the marriage would be in this, at this impasse between the two of you. You never dreamed that you gave 32 years to that company and they say, we're done with you. You never dreamed that your child said, I don't want to ever see you ever again. You never dreamed ever that the doctor would say, because you felt so good, I'm sorry, there's nothing else I can do. You've never been there. But I'm going to tell you, David was in a place in his life where he was at climbing to the top. He was a musician. He was a war hero. And on top of that, he was good looking. But now pretty boy has lost everything. And the guy that elevated him now wants him dead and puts out a contract for his life. He is running in the wilderness, loved by everybody, anointed by God, but also abhorred by the leader of the country, hated. And he says, I'm not going to make it. And last week we talked about life happens, what to do when it does. So now we're going to take you to a place in 2 Samuel chapter 22 where David is on the run. He's running from King Saul. And we find it in verse 1. Here we go. David left Gath. You remember he went crazy there. You remember? If you don't remember the series, go. He, went, he emoted in a big time way. David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him. Boy, isn't that the kind of crowd you want to be with? Amen. And he became their leader. About 400 men were with him. But this is, a, this, is a, this is a great thing that God is doing here. When you hear it, you're going, boy, ooh, I don't know. But this is God setting him up. And we saw last week that David made wrong. When the bottom fouls out, he made some wrong moves. And the wrong moves we learned not to do. So we learned, first of all, don't fear. Because he said, he told Jonathan, I'm dead. I'm a step away from death. And he started creating all these things in his mind. I'm dead. I'm over. Well, he's not dead because God gave him a promise. And then he started to fabricate. You remember, he was going to help God out. He's going to save his own neck. And he starts lying. And it ends up getting 85 priests murdered and their families. And it wasn't his fault. But it was his lie that led to it. He fabricated. And then you start believing the fabrication, the lie of Satan. That's one thing. It's when you start believing the lie. Don't fabricate. And then we also learned the mistake he made is don't freak. He emoted and wigged out and, at, at Gath. And he went into and he made a bad decision. He went into a place that he shouldn't have been. He went into Goliath's hometown with Goliath's sword that the blood is still on there, crusted on that sword that he took Goliath's head off. And he goes back to the place, the hometown. That's just not making sense. But in the midst of all of that, you can sit there and sometimes you can go through trouble. You can go, I don't understand why. I'm wondering. But in the chaos and in the clouds, the vision looks like I, I don't know what I'm going to do. But God steps in. And even in bad decisions that you and I make before we were saved and even after we're saved, David discovered, I got to make God my refuge. I got to center back on God. 
with all these clouds and all this distress and all this chaos going on, I got to get back to God. And when he got back to the presence of God, guess what happened? God helped him recover and God helped him get restored. And today we're going to learn when you start going to God, you can start making the right choices. And today we're going to talk about the right choices he did out of that passage. Okay. So here it is. If you're the bottom's falling out, let's make the right choices David made and he got it from being in the presence of God. Here's the first thing. You ready? The first thing you got to do is connect with the ostracized. Sometimes God will put you with people you never, never believed he ever put you with. Some people you think are underqualified, but God's using them. Look at 1 Samuel 22, verse 1. It says that he escaped to the cave of Adullam with his brothers, his father. Their household heard about it, and they went down there to him. Well, guess who else came with him? <laughs> A whole lot of dysfunction came with him. But he goes to this place called the cave of Adullam. He goes to Adullam. He's living in Adullam. But God taught him, here's the first thing you got to stop doing, David. you got to stop living in isolation. Church family, isolation is Satan's tactic when anything's going in your life that's falling apart. It's to get you to all alone, and nobody knows what I'm going through. And he went to the cave of Adullam. And you know what Adullam means, though? It means refuge. Adullam means refuge or retreat. A cave, a cave. And when he gets connected, guess what God connects him with? Not just his family, but he connects him with the three Ds. The distressed, the debtors, people that had bills to pay, and the discontented. That this bunch is going to help me out, but that's who God sent to him. And God says, David, I want you to know you've been running around by yourself, and that is not a good place for you to be. I don't know. You may not like the folks that I'm sending to you. They may, you may think they have their own dysfunction, how they're going to help me. But he says, you don't need to be alone. He says, first of all, you're not alone, and you better not be alone. Can I give a word to those of you that are going through things, even in your marriage or even through sin issues where you're thinking, I can't let anybody know what's going on in my life? Do not suck into the lie that if I just keep quiet, this will heal itself. God puts him with other people because God always uses people. Isn't it interesting in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, that here's God and Adam walking around. They're just chumming around, having a great time. Eve is not there yet. It's just the two of them. And God said, it is not good that man, that Adam, is alone. Remember, there's no sin there. There's no sin. The place is perfect. And he has God himself. And even when he has God himself, God tells him, even when you have perfect me, you don't need to be alone. Because God knows that there are people that will always be used as his ambassadors to get you to where God wants to be. And out of this ostracized bunch, debtors, discontented, think about it. Out of all this bunch, God is raising up, they're the forerunners of a new kingdom that God is going to establish through King David. Look at that. So here's my point to you. There are no lone rangers that survive. I mean, if you're, if you're the kind of person, I just want to be by myself, I just want to be lying, I don't want nobody help me, I don't want to talk, I'll fix this myself. You are a danger ranger. You're not even a lone ranger. You're a danger ranger. And the reason we're doing that, the reason you do it or I do it, is because we're too embarrassed about the things that we're failing in and we don't want to share it with somebody else. We don't want to share it. We don't show them how in debt we are. We don't show how distressed we are by our sin, our own sinful dysfunction. We don't want to talk about the discontent in our life because we're afraid everybody thinks that. But church, you must always remember that this church 
is going to be a Dullam's Cave right here. If you're looking for clean, purdy Christians that you think I got to reach this standard before this bunch will let us in, oh no, you are at a Dullam's Cave. Listen, if I would rename this church, I would not call it Grand Rapids first. If I rename this church, I would call it Grand Rapids, a Dullam Cave Church. A place for all three Ds. That's what I did. You're either depressed, you're distressed, you're in debt, you're broken, you're sinfully in debt, you're discontented. This is the place. We are a Dullam's cave because out of a Dullam's cave, God is raising up a new kingdom of leaders that will begin to bring his glory. I really believe that. That's what God's doing through them. And this is why I'm encouraging those of you in this church. If you really want to grow, you can't grow just hearing me talk to you. You will grow. But let me tell you, the best way to grow is when you get in one of our, when you get one of our small groups. When you get in one of our small groups, find a place, because there's a place for me. I don't, you're, if you're a single adult, if you're a senior citizen, it doesn't make any difference. Married couple, young married couple, older married couple, got children, don't have children. You need to find a group, because when you're going through the battle, you need to know that there are people that God will use to help you get there. Isolation is Satan's tactic on any believer. Wait till they hear about that. Don't go up and ask prayer for that. You mean you don't want it to? No, do it. This is what's it. Because I'm telling you, friends, sometimes you feel like you're the only one that's going through this, especially when you're being attacked, especially when you feel like somebody should call me, somebody should, somebody should check on me, somebody should do that. And, we, and people do that. But I'm going to tell you something. Satan makes you feel like you're the only one and nobody cares and you're the only one with that problem. You better be quiet. I'm telling you, you need to grab Satan by the jugular vein and jerk him into the light and say, I am going to get around God's people. You ought to be in church more, not less. You ought to be with a small group, a prayer group. You need to be out there. Connect with the ostracized. Connect with those who are going through their own battles and walk the victory. Satan's tactic is isolation. You want to know God's strategy? Here it is, Ecclesiastes 4.12. A person standing alone will be attacked and defeated. Not just attacked. You'll be defeated. You'll be defeated. That addiction will destroy you. It'll destroy you. But look what he says. But two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better. For a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Come on, how many thank God? One of us shall put a thousand to fly. Two of us ten to thousand to fly. Let's stay connected with people that God will use, even when they're imperfect. But they're saying, God, grow me in this. Connect with the ostracized. Here's the next thing. Ready for this? This is a big one. Especially when the bottom falls out financially, mentally, You've lost something. You've got to care for others when you feel like you should be the one being cared for. Now, I believe in caring for people. But I will tell you that Satan uses this tactic on more people to stop. They become so self-absorbed in what they're going through. Mm, dangerous place. Look what it says in verse 3. It says, from there, let's go to verse 3. It says, from there, David went to Mizpah in Moab and said to the king of Moab, would you let my father and mother come and stay with you until I learn what God will do for me? So he's not saying, I'm going to take care of what God wants me to do first. What he does, he ends up caring for somebody else before he goes on his own assignment. Are you watching this? 
What is David doing when the bottoms fall out and he should be in self-pity and he should be saying, everybody's chasing me, nobody likes me, nobody's caring for me. What does he do? He doesn't become self-absorbed, but he moves on to his responsibilities in life. It doesn't sit and hold. I know people that will stay in that despair, that distress, that debt, and they come so self-absorbed that they don't do anything for anybody else. And what's the first thing he does? He starts looking after his parents. Why? Because they're old. He's out there in the elements. He's going in the wilderness. He's dealing with people that want him dead. So what does he do? He takes care of his elderly parents who are exposed to danger. And then on top of that, he's got all these people in debt coming, or in debt saying, help us out. He's got the distress. Help us out. He's got those that are discontent. Help us out. How do I do this? And here he is taking care of the three Ds, taking care of his parents. And then the Bible says, verse 2, he becomes their leader. So that means they're coming to him for counsel. They're looking for direction. He should be saying, somebody come minister me. Somebody, somebody call me. Nobody called me. Well, you got to get involved in a small group for people to know that you exist. Selah. Look what he does. And then he's always helping people. Let you go down that same chapter. In verse 23, he comes to a place called... Uh, uh, he comes to this little uh, uh, this city, uh, uh, Keilah. He comes to Keilah, and the Philistines are raiding this little bitty town. And then he asks the Lord, Lord, should I attack these Philistines that are hurting this poor little town? Should I attack them? And the Lord tells him, you go, go attack them. So people are coming to kill him, but instead he's defending somebody else when somebody ought to be defending him. It's just crazy. This guy is constantly pouring out. And when we're experiencing chaos, any of us, any type of loss, we start turning in and we focus inward. You have to fight against this if you are going through hell right now. Because what happens, you start getting cynical, you start getting bitter, you start saying, why don't they care about me? And we can become so self, the enemy uses as a tactic to be so self-absorbed that you are about you and you forget everybody else around it. Let, let me tell you, the smallest package in the world is someone wrapped up in themselves. That is the smallest package you'll ever find. And there's not much value to it at all. And he says, we hide in the cave. Now, the ca how many know the cave's a good place for him? It's called refuge. But how many know there are places that are rest, but you don't want to stay there? Okay? A cave is a place of rest, yes, but it's not a place to remain. There are times I need comfort, and there's time I need strength, and I need time people minister to me. But it's not the place I want to dwell. Uh, how many slept in a bed last night? Great place to rest. Great place to rest. But not a great place to stay. Not a great place to stay. There are Sunday mornings that I look at Brenda and say, I don't want to go to school today. I'm going to watch a TV preacher at home. Minister to me. Great place to stay. It's a great place to get rest, but not a place to stay. You've got to get back to your responsibilities because Satan will put you in such despair that you don't take care of your own responsibilities. He continued on, and he looked beyond himself to how can I minister to others? You know, even during offering time, we're taking care of this church because if we don't stay with strong spiritual muscle, we can't be that for everybody else. 
And I've watched it happen. I've watched it. We, we are now having to fund more of the things that we do outside of the regular giving to keep it going. And I said, we're going to keep it going. Our missionaries depend upon us. There are people that are in pain, and I know. And that's why I'm telling you all, be faithful in your tithe and offering. Be faithful, especially if we're coming into the end of this year. Be faithful in it, this fiscal year. But we're not going to stop reaching out to people. Just like you heard with Builders International, we're not going to stop. In fact, how many have been watching the news? Over 80 people now in Maui who have lost their life in the fires in Maui. How many have, been, how many have, been, how many have seen it? And I'm going to tell you what we're going to do as a church. We're going to do something about it. But what about us? I'm telling you, God tells you to care for others and watch him take care of you in this. Watch him. So Brent and I are going to do something extra today. We've already given to keep this church strong, yeah, but we're going to do something beyond that. We're going to help, we're going to help right now in Maui. And if you want to help us, people see people say, I'm just so afraid. I don't know if the money's going to go. I don't know if people are going to use it right. Well, we have connection. We, we have a global ministry, both local and overseas, that global impact. And Convoy of Hope has been somebody that you can trust. When we give them the money, it goes directly to that. So if you're looking for a place to help people in Maui, just go up to that, go that app, app and you can give it beyond what your regular tithe and offering was. I want you to give an offering. If God's given you something extra, do a little extra. Go beyond yourself, and we're going to give an offer to him. How many think that would be great to do that? Amen? If, if you want to dump it in the boxes as you go out, you can. If you want to do it online, just put your phone up, and we're going to do something. Why is this so important? Because, friends, I'm telling you that when you Look beyond yourself. You yourself will be refreshed. I promise you. People go, but yeah, but Pastor, I don't know. I just don't see what God's doing in this. It's so interesting to me that when he's in chaos, he goes to Moab. And there's a point to this. Why, why Moab? I think there were things that he was reflecting on in Moab. Because he knows I'm in trouble, but I know God's doing something here. And you need to understand that. God is working things together for your good, even when things around you do not appear good. I want you to hear that. God is working stuff for Sam and Brenda's Reifkogel's good, even when around them it doesn't look good. And Moab, I believe, was a reminder to David that I'm up to something. Why Moab? It's interesting about Moab because when you look at Moab in the Bible, you find there's something very interesting about this place and about David. The reality is what some of you don't realize is that King David has Moabite blood in him from a heathen background. Did you know that? Well, why Moab? Well, how did he get that Moabite blood? You got to go to the book of Ruth and you'll find two people, one by the name of Naomi and her husband Elimelech. And they're in a town called Bethlehem, their ancestral town, but there's a famine. There's chaos. The bottom falls out in Bethlehem, and there's no food. So guess what they have to do? They are forced to go to a heathen land, a heathen nation called Moab, because they're going to die if they don't go get food. Well, she and her husband Elimelech moved to this place called Moab. But while she's in Moab, Naomi suffers one of the things she never dreamed she would suffer. Her husband dies while he's there in this heathen land because they're escaping the chaos of Bethlehem. But now she's got two sons, Malin and Killian. Malin, Malin and Killian marry two women. And here's this one young lady by the name of Ruth that Malin, Malin, he marries. And they're there. But something now happens while they're there to her two sons, both of her sons. Not just her husband, but both of her sons, Malin and Killian, both die. 
It's interesting that Malin and Killian's name, you ready for this? You know what their names mean? Sick and pining. They're in a place of Moab because they don't want to be there because they're running from a famine. And now she's lost her husband and sick and pining that I'm here in this place. I'm waiting, sick and pining. And you know how long they're? Ten years they were waiting and pining, suffering loss. But let me tell you what the best thing that happened out of that place. Mal and her son marries a Moabite girl from this heathen land by the name of Ruth. And when it's time to go back to Bethlehem, she says, there's nothing for us here. We're going back to Bethlehem. Ruth says, let me tell you something, Naomi. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. And where you go, I go. Orpah, she can go ahead, she can go ahead and go on back to, her, back to her family. But I'm sticking with you. I'm following your God. Your people, your Jewish people are going to be my people. Where you go, I go. Your God will be my God. I'm not turning loose from you because I'm going with God. And Ruth happened to. Well, guess what happened to Ruth? Ruth meets someone back as they go down to this, go back, and guess what happens? She meets a man by the name of Boaz. Mm, marry you a Boaz, amen? <laughs> marry you a Boaz. But when Naomi comes back, guess what? They said, wait a minute, isn't that Naomi? She says, don't call me Naomi, because her name meant pleasant and beautiful. She says, call me Mara which means bitter, because I have gone through hell. I've gone through a famine. I've lost my three, I've lost my two sons. I've lost my husband, and it's been bitter. Don't call me pleasant and beautiful, because I have gone through bitter waters. But one bitter thing that she didn't realize was a good thing. Her son married Ruth, and Ruth starts meeting. They go back, and Ruth starts meeting this man by the name of Boaz, who is a kinsman redeemer that can redeem her. Well, she falls in love with Boaz, and Boaz falls in love with them. Well, you know what happens when people fall in love? They get married. You know what happens when they get married? They start having babies. Well, guess what? All of a sudden, now Boaz and Ruth, they have a son named Obed. Well, Obed, he gets married, and guess who Obed? Obed has a son named Jesse. Well, Jesse, he gets married, falls in love. Guess what? They have a child. His name is David. So if there is no if there is no famine, if there is no Moab, if there is no death and there is no loss, then there's no Ruth. If there's no Ruth, there's no Boaz. If there's no Boaz, there's no Obed. If there's no Obed, there's no Jesse. If there's no Jesse, there's no David. If there's no David, there's no King David. If there's no King David, there's no King of Kings and Lord of Lords because Jesus came from the lineage of David. Are you seeing what I'm telling you? Some of you are going, but it's falling apart, Pastor Sam. I don't want to care for others. I don't want to connect with others. I'm telling you, don't let the devil do that. Do the right things. Get connected with people that will grow you and mature you. Get connected, my friends, and care for other people because I'm telling you, you say, but everything's falling apart. No, everything's not falling apart. Everything is falling in place. Even when I don't see it, he's working. Even when I don't feel it, he's working. He's never stopped working. He's never stopped working. He's never stopped working. Don't you ever believe it. Care for others. You know why? It's the word. Because Proverbs eleven twenty five 25 says, the generous, they'll prosper. Because he who refreshes others, they themselves will be refreshed. If you're dried up, it's probably because you have turned inward instead of outward. Care for others. Ready for the last one? Yes, I am there, the last one. How in the world was David able to keep making these wise decisions when it looked like this is not working? Some of you are in your Moab. Keep caring for others. Don't disconnect. Don't isolate. But the last thing, 
was he knew that it was all based on communion with the omnipotent, almighty God himself. A one-on-one -on -one relationship with the omnipotent, all-powerful God himself. And he would never break that communication. Anytime he broke communication, bad things would happen. So there were three, there were three things that, there were really two things that he did major that kept communication. Let me tell you the two. It's very interesting. He always stayed connected with the servants of God. Always stayed connected with the servants of God. That's in your notes, but you need to put it in there. He always stayed connected with the servants of God. And let me show you who those servants are. They were the prophets and the priests. Notice this. He wouldn't make a move till he consulted with the men of God. In verse, chapter 22, verse 5, here's what happened. The prophet Gad came to him. He said, but the prophet Gad said to David, don't stay in the stronghold. Go into the land of Judah. So David left. You see this? David left and went to the forest of Hereth. When he went to the forest of Hereth, God said, I'm going to do something there, so you need to go. He says, do not stay here. See, he didn't have the Bible. How many know that David didn't have the Bible? He did not have the Bible. So what did he have to do? He did not have the written word, so he had to depend on the living voices of God that God used to give him direction. And he said, I'm not going to be the Lone Ranger. I'm not just going to connect with people <laughs> that need help themselves. I'm going to connect with people who are hearing from God. In fact, when it came time, when it came time to go against uh, Keilah to take the Philistines fighting, guess what he did? He consulted with the priest. He went to Ahimelech's son who was killed because of the lie, started because of the lie. He went to Ahimelech's son, Abiathar, and he said, Abiathar, should, should we attack the Philistines who are robbing and attacking the city of Keilah? He always went to the men of God who were connected with God. C can I tell you, your pastor is not out to hurt your feelings. He said, well, I'm not going back to Grandpa Church because that hurt my feelings, what he said. Do you know I'm not here? I didn't wake up this morning and said, let me see if I can just tick this sister off today. I want to tick somebody off. I don't wake up like that. But sometimes God will use your voice to speak something to someone that is not hearing the voice of God and needs to hear the voice of the servant of God. And he speaks that word. Look at that. Speaks that word to him. And he says, go ahead, attack Keilah. He keeps on praying again. He says, now that I've helped Keilah, don't you think that if you help somebody out, pay their light bills, don't you think they'd be nice to you and at least give you a stick of gum or something like that? He goes, um, Abiathar, would you check with God? Um, Saul knows I'm here. Will these leaders of Keilah betray me and turn me over to the guy who wants to kill me? Or will they defend me and protect me? He said, sorry, buddy. They're going to rat you out. Sometimes when you're caring for others, they may even say things about you that you never dreamed and you bailed them out. But you've got to keep doing what God says. But he stayed, how did he commune? He stayed connected with God's servants. And watch this. He always stayed connected through God's songs that God would give him. The Psalms. That's why I love reading the Psalms. They're songs. David authored so many of them the Holy Spirit gave to him. And while he's freaking out in Gath, guess what he's doing at night? He's going back saying, I got to center back in God. I got to get back to God. And he would start composing. The Holy Spirit would give him songs. And that's why Psalm 54 and Psalm 57 and Psalm 63 and Psalm 142 are birthed out of what he's going through in that moment. Because God's given him peace and he's given him songs.
So while he's wandering, he's waiting. While you're wandering, keep on waiting on God. And not just wandering when you don't have direction, when you're wondering, W-O-N-D-E-R-I-N-G. Keep on waiting. Keep on waiting. Don't become impatient with God. Don't become impatient. How many of you love Thanksgiving? I want to show you one device that can save your Thanksgiving. That. See that? That's a pop-up timer. If you'll stick that bad boy into the, into the core of the breast of that turkey, it could keep all your guests healthy. So some of, you, some of you don't know what that does. Well, what it does, it's you got to stick this bad boy into the, in, down into the core of the turkey. It's the only way it'll work. This little apparatus will tell you when the turkey is really done. Yeah, but you got to stick it down the core. And when the inner core is right, when the inner core is right, then this external thing, I got another one. It pops up. Then it tells you know it's really done. But you got to go down in the core where nobody can see it. So it's done because some of you think, oh, it's now and brown and you're going to serve that bad boy and it's going to look like a living sacrifice when you cut it open. <laughs> and here's what a lot of Christians do. I've done it. You've done it. You might even still do it. So once you listen, I'm going to try to save you some time. Many of us as Jesus followers are waiting for God to pop up and say, he will give you all the desires of your heart, but you're ticked off because nothing's happening. You've waited and this didn't happen. But what you didn't realize is God is waiting for you to be fully cooked. Because he knows what's down on the inside, even when you got a nice, pretty, beautiful, brown little golden crust on the outside. Because you go, praise the Lord. Jesus is Lord. But in the Bible, you know, just keep faith. Just keep faith. God's good. God is good. Jesus is Lord. Hashtag blessed. You know, you keep doing that. But he sees something none of us see because there's something down in the core. And you're wanting to supply all your needs because I want this God, I want this God. But he says, don't try to push this open because it could hurt a lot of people. He's waiting for something inside you before this pops up. So some of you are in this and you're ready to bolt from God. I don't want God. While you're wandering and wondering, keep on waiting in his presence. I don't know how long you're going to have to wait. You'll stay in there. He'll tell you. He'll show you. He'll tell you when it's ready. Yeah. It may be a long time you're sitting there going. And all of a sudden, when you know, dun, 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 he's ready. But you try to pour that open. And some of us are winning. Say, God, give me the desires of my heart. But you're not fully cooked. And what's happening to David in the cave of Odullam 
Listen close to me. God is waiting for him to be fully cooked and the chaos is helping him. He grew in the cave because he submitted in the cave. And it's when you're in the chaos of things, he enters into that cave, a broken, defeated, wigged out man. But when he emerges, when it's all done, he emerges as the captain of the army of 400 mighty men. David's mighty men, you read 2 Samuel 23, of all the things he did, he, he was running crazy into that cave. But when he came out, he was reaching for a crown. And how did he do it? You will not do it outside of staying in the presence of God. I'm telling you, it just won't happen. I'm telling you, if you're going to survive, you will not do it outside of the presence of God. It will eat you alive. It will make you bitter. But David said, oh no. And here's one of his psalms he wrote while in that cave. You ready? Let's listen to this. I lie awake thinking of you meditating on you through the night. Because you are my helper, I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. Remember what's happening to him. While he's waiting, God's speaking to him. And he writes, I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. But those plotting to destroy me will come to ruin. They will go down into the depths of the earth. They will die by the sword and become food of jackals. But the king, but the king will rejoice in God. All who swear to tell the truth will praise him while liars will be silenced. Did you notice something in this? Did you notice him not just giving a song of praise, but he starts prophesying? They will die by the sword, and they did, but it hadn't happened. And he says, but the king will rejoice in God. There's one problem here. He's not king. He is not king. He's in a cave. But before he told Jonathan, I'm one step away from death. I will surely die. I'm going to die. I'll never make it. But now he's doing something different. He's prophesying by his, about his future. Even when the popper, the little topper hadn't popped, he said, the king will rejoice in God. He is confidence now that he will be king, but he's still in a cave. Do you know why? Because that confidence does not come from a Tony Robbins video. That, com that confidence does not come from your latest leadership guru on the podcast you heard. That confidence comes because you have been in the presence of God when the bottom has fallen out and all hell is breaking loose. You are not going crazy. You are saying the steps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord. In him I will live. I will move. I will have my being and what he has meant for my evil. God will turn to my good. Just wait. It's going to pop up sometime. Just like David you'll be king because he's king of kings and he's Lord of lords that watches over your life. Ooh, how many glad you came to the house of God today?